She was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. The super epic fucking broad. She was a pioneer in the industry. She's also so famous and so controversial. So controversial. So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I am Sarah Gorski, and I am so excited, listeners, to introduce you to my dear neighbor, Miss Nina Gray. She is our guest for the next two weeks. Hi, Nina. Hello, Sarah. So glad to be here. We've been planning to do an episode together for a long time, and we kept getting delayed, and it's finally happening, and I'm so excited. Mm, Praise the day. Praise the day. Nina, what can you tell the audience about? you? What should they know about you before we dig in? Uh, I'm a lifelong seeker. Singing and songwriting is my passion uh, with a slant towards healing and like inspirational energy. So I believe there's like a real responsibility like all of us have to bring forth the best quality energy we can, especially during a time when there are so many people, institutions seeming to do the opposite. Yes. Amen times a million. But anyway, you, Nina, are just a light. The first time I met Nina, she gave me a golden $100 bill to manifest. And I feel like it's working. I still have it on my fridge. (laughs) It's one of my favorite things. I love to hear that. Every time I try to go to the fridge to get something out of it, I'm like, wait, are you going to manifest with that? Or... Can you, do you have to go in the fridge right now? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, anyway, Nina, I'm so excited to have you. I am very excited to talk about this broad today because I'm pretty sure that you've heard of her since you are such a spectacular performer yourself. Have you heard of Josephine Baker? Oh, yes, 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 love. Oh my gosh, how do you know of her? What's your context for her right now before we talk about her in depth? You know, I mean, there are, there's a very small pool of African-American women who have been in the media like since the 30s and 40s and 50s and really made their way and made a mark. So there's, it's a small team we're working with. And so studying Black history in America, she's definitely one of the names that pops up. She is. She was, in fact, based on all the the research I was reading, that she's the first Black woman to reach that level of stardom. She she was an an audience, if you don't know who she is yet, she's an entertainer, or she was an entertainer, but she was kind of the first Black woman to hit mainstream, first in Europe and then worldwide. And in that case, she also became kind of the first wealthy Black woman in that industry as well. So she paved the way for everyone who has come since. And her story is amazing, and I'm so excited to talk about it with you. Yes! I'm so glad you you picked her. What a perfect person to talk about today. Yes. So dial back to the beginning. She was born on June 3rd, 1906, and her birth name is Frida Josephine McDonald. She was born in St. Louis, Missouri, and her mom, Carrie McDonald, had been a dancer, and her dad, Eddie Carson, was a vaudeville drummer. Apparently, some of some sources said the two of them were like a performing duo for a little bit of a time. That would make sense. It would make sense, although I think they didn't do as well as some folks did and so their their show ended and her mother started doing washerwoman duties and then after she had Frida her dad he ended up abandoning them shortly after Frida Josephine was born 
Her mother ends up remarrying not too long after uh, and ends up having several more children. And as far as the resources I was reading indicated, they didn't seem to have too rough a time. It seemed to be a fairly loving house. And Josephine ends up, you know, no spoilers, but she ends up, you know, helping take care of them her whole life. So it seems like there wasn't too much family drama after her birth daddy left. Things were still tough, though, and they weren't very wealthy. So when she's just eight years old, Josephine begins cleaning houses and babysitting, usually for the wealthy white families in the area. Bringing the money back home helps support all the kids and the family. And as was common of that time period and still today, a lot of the white folks treated her like shit. And she had really negative, awful experiences there. She goes back to school a couple years later, but she ends up running away from home. And at 13, she finds work as a waitress at a club. Wow. Um, 13 years old. She's just a baby. And while she's working at this club, she falls in love and marries a man named Willie Wells. But she's 13 years old. So young, so young. Wow. And it was obviously not meant to be. They divorce only a few weeks later. And apparently Willie ends up being terribly abusive. So thank goodness she gets out of there. But it was also around this time period in her life, she starts dancing. And she is working in the clubs and in street performances. And she gets really good. She not only is amazing with all of the dance moves, she's she's very good. And she even gets noticed in chorus lines, the character, I guess, on the end ends up being kind of like a funny, goofy character. And they're supposed to like not know the dance and be bad. But then at the end of the show, they do it perfectly. Ooh. And she ends up being like brilliant and hilarious in this role. And she really starts to get noticed and to kind of accrue a little bit of attention because she's just so good. So she ends up up touring the United States with the Jones Family Band and the Dixie Steppers. So this is around like 1919. And in 1921, she gets married again to a man named Willie Baker. I guess she has a thing for Willies. (laughs) (laughs) And the marriage... It lasted a little bit longer, but only a few years. But she does end up keeping that name for the rest of her life. So Josephine Baker ends up being her name. And Josephine was her her second name, Frida Josephine. And one of her friends recommended, you know, Josephine will probably be a better performer name for you. So Josephine Baker became what she goes with. So in 1923, Josephine lands a role in this musical called Shuffle Along. This is one of those roles as the chorus where she's on the end and she just blows it out of the water and the audiences were like wild for her. She does so well that she moves to New York City and she was soon performing in Chocolate Dandies with Ethel Waters and there's a floor show at the Plantation Club. These are all references to things I don't know if they still exist today but obviously this is 1923 so this is quite a long time ago and she does really well. And at this time period, and Nina, you probably know more about the evolution of music, but this is kind of the the heavy jazz age. Right. And American jazz was incredibly popular in France. France was like obsessed with that style, with the Charleston and all the dances of the time period and the music of the time period. They just went nuts for it. And so in 1925, Josephine's 19 years old. She goes to Paris and she performs in a show called La Revue Negre at the Theater des Champs-Élysées. Champs-Élysées. I can never say that word either. (laughs) 
Sorry, <laughs> audiences. I just butchered all of the French. We know what you meant. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Josephine makes an immediate impression on all these fr- French audiences. She does, apparently during this particular show, she did this dance with one of her dance partners, Joe Alex, called Dance Sauvage, which I'm guessing means savage dance. (laughs) And she wore only a feather skirt. And the audiences went ballistic. And she does really well in this show. She ends up falling in love with Paris as much as Paris fell in love with her. And she decides, you know what? I am going to stay in Paris. There is a quote from her about it. Because also, like, let's remind you, in this time period in America, the racism, it's rampant, right? Black people are being treated horribly. She, and she experiences this as a performer frequently, right? At, at these clubs and the way people talk to her and treat her. And the segregated audiences, all the things that are happening at this time period. Mm-hmm. So in Paris, there's like none of that. She's this incredible performer. She's welcomed with open arms. And she says, quote, one day I realized I was living in a country where I was afraid to be black. It was only a country for white people, not black. So I left. I had been suffocating in the United States. A lot of us left, not because we wanted to leave, but because we couldn't stand it anymore. I felt liberated in Paris. Wow. Yeah. Having that perspective, it's like the fish that's in the fishbowl that doesn't realize it's in the fishbowl until it jumps out and you realize the water you've been swimming in is one of intense racism and one that creates fear in your own body. And I just, that must have taken a lot to get out of the fishbowl. Props to her. I mean, I think in in some ways, nothing makes what she experienced obviously easier, but in, in some ways France welcomed her so openly and she was doing, her shows were doing so well. She was absolutely adored. And I think that I have to imagine that made it a little easier to decide to stay. (laughs) Right. You're not like a nobody. You've got these loving audiences, but it was just such a different culture. It was such a culture shock and such a healthier place for her to be. Now, after that first show, she keeps doing she keeps doing shows. She's continuously performing. And then the following year, she is performing at the Folie Bergère Music Hall, which apparently was the one of the most popular in France at the time. And this moment in her career is kind of like what she's most famous for and what like exploded her onto the international stage. She did this performance called La Folie du Jour. She performed it wearing only a skirt made of 16 bananas. And I've got some pictures, listeners, I'm going to have on the website. You can check it out. And pictures of her in other performances too. But she literally is just wearing this skirt with bananas on it and nothing. Mm. She's got like a necklace, I think, maybe. But she's not wearing a top. She's not wearing a bikini. In some of the photos, they put a bikini on her. But my understanding is the dance itself. Very risque. And the show was crazy popular. Parisian audiences and all around Europe. It becomes like the talk of Europe. And she quickly becomes one of the most popular and highest paid performers in all of Europe. And most definitely the highest paid black woman in entertainment at that time period across the world. And her, she had a crazy long list of nicknames that all the press and everyone talked about her. She was called the Black Venus and the Bronze Venus, the Black Pearl, the Jazz Cleopatra and Creole Goddess. And she was so popular. She received over 40,000 love letters and 2,000 marriage proposals. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's like like a jazz age influencer, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) 2,000 wedding proposals. That's so good. Can you imagine answering 40,000 love letters? I mean, you don't answer them. I'm sure you just read them or burn them or whatever. But 40,000. 
Oh my god. It's like literal in your mailbox. You are something arrives and you have to see it there. <laughs> wow. I love it. And um she was performing for like all of the big famous people of the time period, of course. She performed for Max Reinhardt, the famous German director who was like absolutely gaga over her. Pablo Picasso, E.E. E. Cummings, and Ernest Hemingway was a frequenter in her audiences and he described her as quote, the most sensational woman anyone ever saw. <sighs> Ernest Hemingway. Yeah, talk about a cosine. (laughs) (laughs) Also, apparently, one of the sources that I was reading through talked about how she also performed some shows with her pet cheetah. What? That sounds very Parisian to me. Like when I think of like French performance, doing your show with your cheetah next to you. So around 1930, she also starts to sing. So until now, she had kind of been primarily dancing. So in 1930, she also starts to sing. And a couple of years later, she lands a couple of film roles in Juju and Princess Tom Tom. She's cast in these singing roles. So she becomes even more popular. And all this time, she is kind of building her fortune for herself because she's the highest paid performer at the time period. And eventually, she purchases an estate in, here's some more French, uh, Castelnau-Ferrac, which is in southwest France, apparently. And she names Ooh. the estate Les Melandes. And eventually she moves her whole family over from St. Louis to live there with her. Oh, wow. Yes. Great migration. Yes. I mean, it's a better place for all of them. A better life for all of them. And then in 1936, Josephine is like, you know what? I've gained all this fame, all this good juju here in Europe and in France and everywhere. I want to try and see if I can't kind of translate that back over to the U.S. Because after all, that was like her place of birth. And, you know, I don't, she loved Paris, but I think she still, you know, wanted to be welcomed at home as well. So she performs with the Ziegfeld Follies in 1936. But once again, she's met with a ton of hostility and blatant racism. So she only is performing in that show for a short time and she returns back to France. And shortly after she gets back to France, she ends up marrying a Frenchman, an industrialist named Jean Lyon. And she officially, with that marriage, she becomes an official French citizen. It's worth noting, you know, she's part of the jazz age. A lot of the historians that talk about her talk about how she had this joie de vivre and this kind of radical free loving energy uh, and it was part of her, all of her performances and it was part of who she was and so she also had a number of love affairs as mm. they say I didn't list off all the names of them except for one who's of note because it blew my mind that in 1939 she had a thing with Frida Kahlo what? another oh. broad you should know we've covered Frida in a previous episode but Frida in 39 she travels to Paris for an exhibition and there's no written correspondence between the two of them but the sources I was reading suggested that they met in a nightclub after Josephine performed and that they had a torrid love affair Wow. Yeah. And she does appear, you know, when I did the Frida episode, I went back and I watched the Sam Hayek movie and Josephine Baker is a character in the movie and I hadn't noted her in particularly. And now I connect all the dots and the broads connect across our our stories. So I think that is absolutely incredible. Absolutely. 
She also, she obviously had a lot of lovers. She didn't just have one lover, but her and Frida had this like bisexual artist energy that just like could not be denied. Wow. I would love to be a fly in the room of them just being in their flow, you know? Yes. Oh my gosh. That would be, just imagine. So, okay. So now we move to the story and the part where World War II kind of enters the picture. You know, the Nazi power starts to grow and eventually the Nazis are occupying France entirely. As the war kind of starts to amp up, Josephine signs up for the Red Cross right away. And she also joins the French Resistance. Wow. She turns her chateau into like an information hub for the war. Yes, she does. Yes. Wow. (laughs) Yes. And she works as a spy. So she, like while she's entertaining, she's like listening to these conversations of these generals and these people. And she is smuggling messages in her sheet music and in her lingerie, in her underwear. She's like smuggling messages out to the French resistance. Oh my gosh. Just when I couldn't love her more. Unreal. Wow. Go ahead, Josephine. I just, it's like, you know, you saw that movie in Glorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. You know, when they're like at that bar and that actress, you know, she's there and she's part of the resistance and she's listening. I like imagine some sort of scene like that of being like the one nobody suspects in the room because you're this beautiful woman Fully. and like Fully. absorbing all this information that people are like getting drunk and fucked up and they're just like spilling out this info and she's just right there writing it down, sending it out. I just like, I'd like to be a fly on that wall. <laughs> Maybe even more than the freedom wall. Totally. Wow. That's such a G move. I had no idea Miss Baker had it like that. Incredible. Now, she also was performing and entertaining the troops uh, in Africa and in the Middle East too, apparently. But the work she did smuggling those messages was by far kind of the most important work she did. And so important, in fact, that at the end of the war, she is awarded both the Croix de Guerre and the Legion of Honor with the Rosette of the Resistance, which are two of France's highest military honors for all the work oh that she did gosh. yeah wow. at one point in during the war things get so heated that she even has to leave for a little bit I, I i imagine there was lots of danger everywhere all the time but at some point maybe she was starting to get suspected the sources weren't very specific about kind of how all things fell out here but she goes mm-hmm. to morocco for a bit for things to cool down and then in 1944 she returns to marseille with the french air force And then the war ends and she gets those awards. And following the war, she takes a little break. She's like, I'm just going to hang with my family at my chateau. Yes. (laughs) And in 47, she ends up getting married again. And she marries an orchestra director, Jo Bion, or Bullion? I don't know. Of all the things I pronounce on this podcast, friendship must be the worst. (laughs) And at this time, so now we're at 19, around 1950, this is starting to be the hot and heavy civil rights era in the U.S. Mm. And Josephine is like, you know what? I'm all about it. And I want to be a part of that. And so in 1950, she comes back to the U.S. again and she starts performing. But very famously, she refuses to perform for segregated audiences. Wow. So when a club or a performance hall is like, oh, yeah, we want to have you perform here. But if they're segregated, she says, not unless you integrate your audience, especially in Miami. Apparently, that was like a huge deal. People were very upset. But Mm. she stuck to her guns and she held them to it. She also ends up being a part of the civil rights era. She goes to demonstrations and she does the boycotts. She actually marches with MLK 
um, in the March on Washington. She's like right there. She is a part of the action. Mm. In fact, she's such a part of the action that the NAACP named May 20th Josephine Baker Day. So May 20th, later this month, we can think about Ms. Baker. Circle it on the calendar. So as a part of her, one of the the sources I found had a great quote from her about the civil rights era and the work she was doing then. And she said, quote, you know, friends, that I do not lie to you when I tell you, I have walked into the palaces of kings and queens and into the houses of presidents and much more. But I could not walk into a hotel in America and get a cup of coffee. And that made me mad. Wow. She had been feeling that fire for a long time, ever since she she left to go to France, and then she finally got to come back and be a part of throwing it over, of creating change. Go ahead. In 1954, and this is one of the other things she's known for, uh, every article talks about it, is when she's touring Japan, she adopts a son there. And then she goes on to adopt 11 more children. <gasps> and she's she enters kind of this like mother phase of her life. So she has 12 kids and she adopts them from all different countries. And she refers to her family as, quote, the Rainbow Tribe. Oh, and her, my goodness. <laughs> and she also calls them her experiment in brotherhood. And she basically mm. wanted to show the world that people of different races can, in fact, live together in harmony and love. And so she created this family of her own. And some of her children are still alive today. Some of them do interviews um, talking about her. I've watched some of these. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's the most beautiful thing. How did I not know that about her, too? She started off Because she UN. has such a huge life. Like, you can hardly know all of it until you start to really dig in. So at this, after this point and after the civil rights era, so she's starting to get a little bit up in years, especially for a performer and a dancer. Mm -hmm. So she's not performing nearly as much. In fact, she was 57 during the March on Washington. She's already 57. So at this point, she hasn't been performing very much. But in 1973, she performs at Carnegie Hall in New York mm. for the first time. And she's greeted with a standing ovation. This part makes me really emotional, actually. Mm. Her whole life, she had just wanted to be loved by American audiences. And she had always met with so much hatred. When the audience gave her a standing ovation, she was so moved that she just openly wept on stage. She just stood there and cried. Wow. And it was a huge success. And it marked her big comeback to the stage after the break she took to raise her family and to march for civil rights. Wow. And then in... um, in April 1975, she performs at the Bobino Theater in Paris, which was the first of in a series of performances celebrating the 50th anniversary of her Paris debut. And there were all these very famous celebrities in the audience, including Sophia Loren and Princess Grace. Wow. And apparently her and Princess Grace had been really good friends for years. Another badass fact about Josephine Baker. Wow. And um, this performance is just, again, a grand success. She's just greeted with such love and such joy to have her back on the stage. But two days later, on April 12th, 1975, they find her in her apartment. And she has all the reviews of the show, like all these clippings all around her. And she had had a cerebral hemorrhage and she died. She was only 68. Wow. So she only got to do the first in that, in that series of performances. That was her, her return to the stage in Paris ended up being her last performance. Wow. And on the day of her funeral, more than 20,000 people lined the streets of Paris 
And the French government honored her with a 21-gun salute. And that made her the first American woman in history to receive French military honors. Uh, On November 30th, 2020, Josephine became the first black woman inducted into France's Pantheon, which is kind of like their most famous resting place and, and remains a legend in France and beyond and in the world. And that is Miss Josephine Baker. Oh. Isn't that an unreal life? She really hit every box and to the to the highest ability. Yeah. She just didn't I mean, obviously she gave a shit, but she just didn't care what the world was telling her and she just went and took it anyway. And she wow. she there's not very we talk about a lot of amazing women on this podcast, but mm-hmm. Josephine Baker is pretty high on my list of favorites after learning oh. all this about her. Just the evolutions, the personal evolutions that she went through during her life and the amount of no that she pushed forward and made her own yes. Now this is what I believe and this is what how I will yeah. be in action and be the change for it. Yeah. So inspiring. And one of the, it's a side note really, but s- several of the articles that I was reading talked about this, how she really didn't let herself stay in situations that were bad for her. Mm. That unlike many women, you know, when her marriages turned sour, she left and she wasn't afraid mm-hmm. to leave. She wasn't Just afraid to be on her own. She wasn't afraid to build her own thing. And so many women, I think, get caught in those traps of, of feeling like they can't do it alone or they need you know, they need a husband, they need these things. And she just didn't, right. she just wasn't subject to that. She she flew above it in the most mm. amazing way. That takes a lot of grit and a lot of resilience. Yes, yeah. well put. I just remembered, they just announced that Josephine Baker is going to be played by Janelle Monet in a movie. <gasps> Are you serious? I'm serious. Oh, I love that. That's so perfect. That's so, so perfect. perfect. And apparently she showed up I try not to follow the Met Gala because there's just such bigger things happening in life. But apparently she showed up at the Met Gala in this with this headdress that's like mimicking one of Josephine's headdresses she used to wear. Whoa. And it's awesome. Oh, it's awesome. So she's like dropping the hints like I am. Yeah. Good for her. Oh my God. So excited for that. Anyway, thank you, Nina, for being here for this episode. I thought you might learn a few things about her that you didn't know. And I think you did. So I'm really excited. <laughs> Now Josephine Baker just holds this seat in my mind as just such an inspirational woman if she wasn't already. Like, thank you. Yes. And I'm going to have all these, you know, links and photos on the website, but there's also all these videos. You can actually watch her dancing and watch some of her acts. Like there's YouTube videos of her and you can see the clips. And obviously there's a very particular style of that time period. And don't read the comments. Just don't read the comments. Don't but you can the watch comments. the videos and there okay. it's just amazing because you you know she's creating her own dances she you know obviously when she was cast in a show she had to perform the choreography but once she got to paris she was creating her own wow and she decided she's the one who decided to put on a banana skirt and she's the one who did it and she's the one who made her career and made her way so she's just a an unstoppable incredible talent and you can just watch this energy and this life just kind of drip off of her even on these like really old this was like the beginning a film so the the quality's like really bad and you know really fuzzy and hmm. stylized in black and white and weird but you can still see her in all of her glory i encourage everyone to check it out watch the videos and get to know her her face and and her art so come back next week and in the meantime check out those videos and we'll see you next week for another broad you should know 
To learn more about Josephine Baker, see pictures of her and some of the video clips I found, visit broadsyoushouldknow.com. While you're there, click on over to the About page to read more about Nina Gray. Her bio, photo, links to all her cool stuff, her social, all right there. Speaking of social, are you following us yet? Broads You Should Know is on Facebook and Instagram at Broads You Should Know and Twitter at BYSK Podcast. To suggest a broad, fill out the form on our website or email us at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. If you're a fan of this podcast, then please help spread the word about us. Share with your friends and your family and leave us a review on your podcasting platform. It really helps new listeners to find us. Broads You Should Know is brought to you by Zencaster, the all-in-one podcast production suite that gives you studio-quality audio and video without needing all the technical know-how. It records each guest locally in their own place, then uploads the crystal clear audio and video right into the suite so you have high-quality raw materials to edit with. Zencaster is what we use here at Broads You Should Know, and we love it. Sign up now and get 30% off at zen.ai slash broadsyoushouldknow. Broads You Should Know is produced by me, Sarah Gorski, and edited by Chloe Skye, with original music by Darren Callahan. Finally, if you really enjoyed Josephine Baker's story, then you're probably going to like a couple of our other episodes. You should check out our actress activists, Eartha Kitt and Marian Anderson, and you should check out some of our spies, Virginia Hall and Policarpa La Pola Salavarieta. See you next week for another Broads You Should Know.